0: Welcome back. Here is part two with Mia Vivoni. You know, because uh, the diagnosis that my mother has, there was a likelihood, science says, that I would have the same thing. Mm-hmm. But but mine is more PTSD or, or um, c- complex. Post-traumatic stress disorder, which is not in the DSM or recognized, but um, it's a bunch of things like a slow drip Mm -hmm. of chronic trauma instead of a one big thing or an acute trauma. And so it especially shows up in relationships, self-identity or concept, self-esteem, you know, any type of performance. But there's also a pervasive feeling of I am not enough and I will never be enough. And even when we are enough, the head says you're still not enough. And so um, one of the things we talked about feelings, uh, deciding to feel, I don't know, I think I was more um, encouraged to feel or understand the power and the validity of emotions. My mother had a quote when I would have a feeling and she would say logic over emotion. Now I'm not sure really where she got that, but it's a very dismissive way of saying, You know think but don't feel and so my mother is not a very feely person Mm -hmm. she doesn't like to go there in her own doesn't like to go there with mine um doesn't really show up that way might be better with you know weather or surface conversation but but if i were to go into like what we're talking about today like hey did you know that these things happen to me she she would not be able to function and so I think that some of it is deciding to feel, but I also think that there are some mechanisms in the mind that prevent us from feeling, even if we wanted to. Like safety, like survival? Absolutely, instincts. yes. So the, the mind will say, well, I can't go there. It's too painful, mm-hmm. right? So similar to dissociation, mm-hmm. there's a suppression, a repression, right, mm-hmm. of these emotions. And so that can manifest in the body.
1: So this would kind of explain why she would get angry when you were young, when you were a little girl, and you would go to her, because you would say, you know, if you were, if you did go to her with an issue or problem that was hurting her feelings or hurting you physically, or her, you were hurting, that's your, you know, and it made her angry. So it, it makes sense mm-hmm. now when you put it that way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there was no response. Yeah. there,
0: There was just silence or toxic positivity is what we call it today. Mm-hmm. You know, look on the bright side or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. So I was perceived as a problem yeah. uh, the minute I I started not acting right. And so carrying that mantle, every everything that I came to her with, I think she just had that prejudgment that this was coming from like a dishonest place or a troublemaking place instead of, no, I'd like, I really have things going on that I need to talk with
1: somebody Yeah. About. Yeah, that when you, I don't know if unacknowledgement is a word, but when when someone's feelings are not acknowledged by their parents, that's dangerous, I feel like. You're said, yeah, um, I see that a lot, you know, with my kids, their friends over over the years, over many, many, many years. Um, And I had an amazing mom who did that for me, of course, and then we kind of, you know, I modeled my parenting after her. Um, and I do with my kids, and um, a lot of parents don't. Uh, They just, they're very uncomfortable. It's probably the way they were parented. So it does take someone to decide, like you did, I'm going to feel my feelings so I can recover, grow and recover and become a better parent for your own children. You know, stop that um, cycle, or stop that, um, I guess stop that cycle. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that would be the way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, okay. So the feelings part, I mean, that's difficult.
0: and and this is you know as pardon me i prepared for your show Mm -hmm. you know last night and this morning this is how i unlocked my own humanity Mm -hmm. was realizing that emotions are a guidance system yeah and they're also a part of our intuition or Mm -hmm. inner knowing and so all of these incidences, these things that happened to me and the responses from the outside world when I tried to communicate what happened to me caused me to doubt myself. And so I never knew if I was heading in the right direction or not. When people say, well, I had a gut feeling, I had no idea what that was like. I couldn't follow my gut because yeah. when when I did, it was wrong. Or when I did, I, I was told I, I, everything was okay when it wasn't or I was just imagining things or making a big deal out of things or being a problem or, you know. So the, the feeling part of it is in trauma work, is first recognizing how we have these ways of operating now that we're an adult and where they came from. And most of the time they're from messages that we received when we were younger about the world, about ourselves. Our trauma shapes our whole worldview so and, it, and it'll come up in relationships over and over and over. And if it doesn't show up in a spouse, it will show up with our hating the government or um, picking a, an argument with the lady who's the cashier at Starbucks. And these little passive aggressions to get our anger and our rage out or just outright, outright aggressions like I went through uh, because the rage was so uncontainable. So feeling a lot of that fear, insecurity, um, certainly addressing the shame is one of the things that is can be very productive. And and until we do that, there's almost no way to go into self-care activities. That makes sense. Because you're constantly in survival, motivated by this fear of uncertainty, and the protective mechanisms are, are up. And it's exhausting mm-hmm. living like that. Physiologically, mentally, emotionally, it's just exhausting feeling like, You have to control your external environment in order for you to feel safe, which often means other people too. Right. And you just can't. So that was one of the gifts of my recovery program, teaching me the sphere of my own influence, what I can control and what I cannot. And when I was able to separate those two, I was also able to separate my experience from my mother's. And I detached from my mother's enmeshment. Of identity because that's really what happened. I was there to reflect back to her her worth, and I was doing a piss poor job Mm. because I was not a good child. Mm -hmm. And so that's not what parenting is about, is it? No, parenting is that uh, you know this child didn't ask to be born mm-hmm. you know I brought this child into the world so it's my responsibility to make sure the child feels safe the child is taken care of and to reflect the worth to the child and not rise for son so mm-hmm. that's one of the things that happened in my relationship with my mom that fueled addiction and then all the
1: trauma of course. yeah um something I'm gonna see if I can articulate this right something I heard explained once um you're talking about how people will take their anger out like on they will find ways like what the cashier like whatever overreactions and things like that um i'm trying to explain it because it resonated with me so much that it's helped me deal with people in my not in my immediate circle but sort of like adjacent to me that sometimes i have to deal with um that like if we picture you know our lives as like a balloon like a, a fairly small balloon and then like inside is like the trauma or the pressures or the um, stressors or whatever in our life. Somebody that's experienced a lot of trauma, their balloon will be blown up so like like big, like think like a watermelon. Think the difference between like um, like a lemon and a watermelon, um, like where I might be a lemon and this person I'm talking about's a watermelon. That's their balloon and it is so filled up and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they haven't resolved these issues these underlying issues and so the only way to survive in the world is to let out a little bit of air and that comes out in attacking the cashier in attack like attacking in these controlling their environment controlling their spouse getting angry at their kids for stupid you know like and that just relieves a little bit of pressure and air for the moment until it starts to blow up again and again but the, when we see people who like they were always normal and as they've gotten to be an adult they're just crazy i don't know what happened to them mm-hmm. it's because over time this balloon just keeps inflating 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 and their their fuse is so short because they have to let that air out periodically well or you know mm-hmm. frequently so does that make sense yeah i explained it, that no it's a it's a really good analogy yeah. um and what you're describing
0: is pensive explosive yeah so keeping it in because, well, sometimes we're not even aware that it's there. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Something happened, but I don't know what it was, but oh, but it's my parent and I have to love my mom. Mm-hmm. It's my mom. Can't be mad. I'm gonna go to hell, right? Those right. types of things. So all these things encourage us to keep it in. Yeah. And so then we get older and as we have more years, we have more experience more disappointments, mm-hmm. more heartache, more self-doubt and the balloon fills more and more and more until we have problems with self-regulation. And that's what you're describing. Yes, So it. when I'm in Walmart, you know, with my two children and I'm trying to get school supplies and, you know, I see the family over there, which they have four children, everybody's getting new clothes and everybody's happy and getting school supplies, I may not be aware, Uh, consciously that I'm reviewing that whole thing and I'm comparing myself Mm -hmm. because I'm in my head I'm like I can't even I have to put the colored pencils back yeah you know I can get the regular ones son but I get but I need colored pencils it's on my list and I'm I don't have enough I'm not even on welfare I didn't qualify for welfare in Texas I worked at a gym and and you know you were in that fun place in the middle sure not poor enough but not rich and like uh, but no child support either so that was most of my children's lifetime or early you know years with me anyway was was that space right there and so those those things i had no idea that i'm looking at this family going in my head Mm -hmm. you know honestly must be nice and so when i got to the cashier. And I'm in line I mean it's a couple days before school I'm in line and I get to her and I got this really short you know responses she's like hi how are you I'm like I'm good how are you mm-hmm. like you know you really took a long time she can feel it in the energy behind my words yeah but I had no idea what any of that was about but of course poverty in itself is a trauma oh yeah and so I'm experiencing that with my two children, yeah. and going through single adulthood might even be considered a tro- yes. not having support. Yes, you know, yes. and and so there needs to be some type of release. But before there can be a release of emotion, there has to be. You alluded to this earlier. Um, I think unacknowledgment is a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be an acknowledgement, but not by somebody outside of us. See, that's, that's the cool thing about trauma work. It begs for acknowledgement, but the person it needs the most is you. Yeah. It's, it's for us to acknowledge what's happening in ourselves. Like, oh, my gosh, that really happened
1: to me. Yeah,
0: I had a woman in her 80s who is a client of mine, and she's going to know I'm talking about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to mention her by name by any means, but she she is so encouraging to me. Because she says in her 80s, as she's talking about these things, not in detail, like I said, we don't have to go down memory lane. It's enough yeah. to just acknowledge something happened. Something that- she says, wow, I've really been through a lot. And I'm still here. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. for for us to take that view towards ourselves, you know, in Gabor Mate's book, Myth of Normal, he talks about connection. Mm-hmm. I love him. And that, that connection is what... Soothes, Mm -hmm. But we walk around looking to connect with mom, looking to connect with dad. You know, I looked for siblings my whole life. I looked for besties my whole life. And really all the answers, it's true when we talk about the greatest love of all. Mm -hmm. That the greatest love of all is the love that we have for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I I know about that today. Mm -hmm. And I never knew about it before. Mm -hmm. And nobody gave it to me. It's something that I had to cultivate through recovery, spirituality, and, and with having compassion for myself yeah. as, as a human being who survived all of these things. That was the beginning of my ability to heal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that if you've never been shown compassion, sometimes it's hard to know how to give yourself compassion. Um, I find with people, like they've never been shown it. So they're not showing it, least of all to themselves. And uh, which brings up my a question. So you clearly have did a 180 at some point, <laughs> you know, to the person that you've described and that, we've, that I've read about and researched you, to who you are now. Do you attribute that 180 um, to... I mean, the fact that you have the self awareness and the acknowledgement and all of that—were you taught that? Was this really just your, you know, having such a strong connection to your spirituality that you learned it? Like, how how did you come to be where you're now, where you are now? The
0: wonderful question. My own experience is the connections that that I have, starting with the math teacher uh-huh. in jail. Who told me you have a science math aptitude? Wow. And, and I, I completed uh, high school really quickly right. because I, I looked forward to going to school every day. I mean, it was like something I had never experienced. You know, we get our kids dressed and like, oh my God, kindergarten. Right. Oh my God, you're in 10th grade. This yep. is going to be amazing. You're going to go to cheer. I tried all of that, and, and it just failed for me because I had so much going on at home. I had so much fear in my environment with bullying and things like that. And I had all these secrets and the shame that I was carrying inside me that that was never enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But here I get to this awful place and I woke up every day, and school was my purpose. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we need, um, especially in suicide prevention, yeah. is we need a purpose, need something a purpose. that gets us out of bed every day. Yep. And so Mrs. Brimfield gave me all kinds of science things to do. I, I, I failed math in public school, but I got there with her and I did fantastic. In college, I took an upper level course for advanced statistics and I got a B. I, I had to do EFT tapping mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. through it, mm-hmm. but because I had so much anxiety, it was all flush. I actually made a video on an old channel, but but I passed it and I got a B, which was a huge accomplishment. Um, but this, the other constant is what's called in trauma work or connection was my sponsor. Okay. was the person who took me through yes. you know a 12 step program and uh, and and if anybody is listening to this and is out there that doesn't have insurance that will cover psychiatric care or conventional therapy this was an avenue to me as a single mother living in a poverty situation Uh, This was an uh, avenue to me to get support and also put me through something that helped me learn things like introspection, self-reflection, conflict resolution, you know, um, amending my behavior, being able to see my motivation behind my my behavior. I say it's cognitive behavioral therapy in a step yeah. program. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny because yeah. this particular one was, you know, maybe outlined in, you know, the, the late 30s, early 40s and cognitive behavioral therapy, Dr. Aaron Beck didn't even come on the scene until the 60s. Mm-hmm. So here we have this system. And for me, it was like an inside cleansing. Mm-hmm. Of, of getting all this stuff and speaking about wow. some of these things for the first time ever. I wrote them down and I shared them with this woman and she, when I shared them with her, she wept. I also went to a counselor when I was 19 uh, after I had left Job Corps and I picked up an assault charge and they mandated anger management to me and I saw a counselor for a little while Wonderful lady, mm-hmm. but this was the first time when I was sharing with her in session, she said, this isn't you, this is your parents. This is not, you You are not the problem here. Mm-hmm. It was, it. it what the cognitive dissonance in that moment, I just could not understand what she was saying mm-hmm. because I was so conditioned to believe that I was a problem. Yeah, And she said, all of these things here, you were abandoned here, you were abandoned here. And I said, you gotta stop talking. I don't know what you're saying. I, this is all my fault. I was more than happy to take it all on. And this young woman, she she got into my feelings, yeah, and I never went back. So oh, here's one of those barriers okay. to help that we're talking yes, about, yes, right? Because of my own stigma, not stigma on her part. Mm-hmm. You know, she would have been great for me to go to, but I was not ready to look at these things. And earlier we talked about my mom, I don't think my mom's ever been ready if if yeah. my mom, went back now, she would have to acknowledge that she had part in my suffering. And maybe that's hard to do.
1: Mm.
0: Maybe that's hard to do. The other thing... I have friendships. I have clients. I I have people, um, you know, like from the Stop Stigma Sacramento Bureau that, you know, there are times that I have social anxiety and and I kind of let that out. My vulnerability, like I'm really nervous and they cheer me on. You know, I have people show up everywhere I go. People can't wait to listen to this or read the books I'm writing. And those those types of connections are what what heals and it almost replaces the uh the effects of that invalidation mm-hmm. the invalidation but mm-hmm. the the real work in trauma is understanding your responses and then taking advantage of neuroplasticity to create new ex- new yeah. responses that is a hard road yeah it's not a fast or an easy road no it's, it's not a hard road to take responsibility for that
1: yeah uh, yeah Good, very good point. Um, I didn't. It never even dawned on me, or maybe it did. I just wasn't uh, super aware of it. Twelve-step programs—they make those for things other than uh, alcoholism and drug abuse. Yeah, they are they, They're available for every, other...
0: every single twelve-step program. There, it was a pioneer in the '30s, and okay. it was modeled after that. But there are overeating, yeah. gambling. I mean, all kinds of of different step programs.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really good, you know, because it's free, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So when you were talking about if you don't have insurance, you know, the accessibility aspect of these things sometimes can be a major roadblock. So... um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I'm and, glad you made that.
0: And you're also communing with people who have lived experience. Yeah, 100%, yes. And, and if you're communing with people who have lived experience and they understand the experience, but they also understand the recovery. Mm-hmm. See, that's kind of where my trauma coaching, even though I have – professional experience in the field, the the coaching practice for me liberated me to be myself with clients, to share my story with clients. Because sometimes in a therapeutic context, we're discouraged against self-disclosure. Right. And so they, you know, when I worked for the mental health field in Sacramento County, they actually had a position for me as, you know, in peer support. Mm -hmm. But where I could share some of my story, but now as a a private coach, I mean, it's just amazing. It gives clients the opportunity, you know, to know that they're not alone, to know that somebody gets them on those deep levels of really dark secrets and shame Mm -hmm. and things that we might not have asked for, situations we put ourselves in not knowingly, just out of, you know, survival mechanisms. Um, So there's, there's help abounds, but it usually takes some circumstance for somebody to come forward and say, I need help. Yeah. A marriage crumbling, a child in trouble, you know, or, or some epiphany or a religious or a spiritual experience. Um, you know, I have a friend who says, you know, I was, I was out in the ocean surfing and, and mulling over my problems and I looked up at the sky and I asked myself, there's gotta be more to life than this. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, he had some type of change and when he picked up his board and got in his car and went to his family he was on his way to becoming a different person from the inside out Mm. so sometimes it happens like that
1: yeah yeah
0: sometimes a diagnosis isn't the best way to begin recovery
1: i agree i agree with that
0: because the labeling even though the labels were created for a reason if yeah. we can categorize it, and then if we can define treatment, and then if we can do more research, and then add to the broader conversation for treatment, this is a good thing. Also, we needed a way to build insurance. Mm-hmm. But as far as those labels yeah. are concerned, where people are now, you know, you see it as well as I do on social media. You know, not everybody that hurts your feelings is a narcissist. You know, not everybody that has a mood fluctuation is bipolar right. or borderline. Yeah. Now there's one. You know, if if I like, you know, my laundry folded a certain way that means i'm ocd and this is a way of perpetuating stigma by throwing around these labels that are designed to help people
1: understand what's going on with them oh yeah that's so true that's so true yeah and they wear them you know can be worn like an identity and sometimes it's hard to recover from i mean i kind of went through this myself with my physical issues like when i was diagnosed and going through it i became Kimberly, the girl who had, you know, fill in the blank. And it's like, you know, I wasn't just me anymore. I, w- I was my illness. So um, Ooh, sometimes. That's powerful. Yeah, like, and I, I really, it took a while to like, you know, my my personal Instagram handle is called my sick fit life because I was sick, but I did, a, I did a fitness comp, I got long story, but I ended up getting out of the wheelchair and recovering. And then I ended up finding fitness and I ended up like working out and then I ended up competing in a fitness comp, like just randomly. I didn't, I didn't do well in it, but I, I did it. Um, and so I, I rephrased it to my sick fit life. Um, because before it was Lyme lady, um, which is mm-hmm. I, Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in now I'm even like, I'm ready to drop the sick. You know, I've been ready for a long time. I just liked the name. I just thought mm-hmm. the name was catchy but the point is is that um and i've talked to other people in the chronic illness community that we wear our we wear our illnesses because it explains who we are it's like we th- like i'm this way because you know fill in the blank instead of just being at peace and you know we've acknowledged who we are we don't need the world to you know be um like it's almost like i'm leaving the party early because i have lyme disease instead of like i'm done i'm ready to go home you know it's okay you know so it's we wear it around as permission to be who we are instead of I don't know if I'm making any sense here but
0: you're making yeah total sense. May I chime yes, in yes 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 So I understand you know what you're saying and and as we're discussing labels you know there uh, over the summer I went to um, in Ileton. Uh, there's a crawfish festival, you know, and they have the crowd and the vendors and the food and live music. And I went with my partner and a couple who is a friend of ours and I was fine. Mm-hmm. I, I felt great I was doing my self care routine you know which is also gym stuff that's so funny that we have that in common mm-hmm. it's one of the things that saved my life is reinforcing yeah. the mind body connection and working out causes the mind to be present when 100%. you're focusing on what muscle you're working also did some competitions in a different um, you know arena and, and just loved that it it gave me a, uh, a endorphin rush yeah. you know feeling powerful uh, all kinds of things Just and good for you yeah. for that recovery and coming out of that i just wanted to acknowledge you for that you. you're welcome very hard to do but this this part of us that says you know uh, uh, i was in this crawfish festival and we had a friend of ours who was drinking a little bit which that's fine mm-hmm. i i go all over the place you know and i can do that today he doesn't have a problem with the alcohol i did but yeah. he's coming to me and to get my attention he's touching me hey Hey, which we have friendly friends, you know. They hey, hey, guess what? Hey, but every time he did that, we were in a crowd, and I would, yeah, I would. Jump, and so it was activating my startle reflex. So I did everything I could on my part, which is what I teach my clients. So I moved away from him. I kept a three foot distance. Every time I stepped back, he would move forward. Oh, I would boy. move from the op- the opposite side of the circle, and then he would come and it just. And so finally, I said, "Hey, I love you, but I have to ask you to stop doing that." And right as that tone came out of my mouth, his wife is over here and kind of looked at me like, you know, what's what's going on? Because you could hear my tone yeah was so firm so now i'm the problem again oh, no. cuz i'm rocking the boat right and so i explained to my partner's absolutely supportive and amazing again that's one of those connections that's healing mm-hmm. and so he said hey man no 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 remember she has ptsd and so and i said i'm in a large crowd the only person I'm expecting to touch me is my partner. Mm-hmm. And so when you're touching me and it's not in my, my vision, it's causing me to flinch, which makes me want to fight. Oh. So I need you. And he was like, no, 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 that's just how I am. I said, I understand that, but you need to stop it. Mm-hmm. So there was that conversa- conversation. Excuse me. And so I left that event feeling so abnormal. This was just pretty recent. Yeah. But the shame kicked in that... I, I, you know, me and my PTSD ruined the event again. Mm-hmm. That kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And so when we say things like my PTSD or my cancer, mm-hmm. we're holding it closer to ourselves and our identity. Yep. Because think about my friend, my daughter. Yeah. That pronoun of my says mm-hmm. ownership, says possession. And so I don't want my PTSD. I want to say I'm a human being mm-hmm. that has an illness called PTSD. Right. It's different. And this yeah. is the destigmatizing language mm-hmm. that that we all should adopt. Yeah. And in, in regards to physical health and also mental health, I'm a human being who has the diagnosis of substance use dependency, mm-hmm. even though for many years I haven't put – anything like that in my body for those reasons, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I am a human being who is on medication, but that doesn't mean my medication, I'm not on medication anymore. I was using that as an example. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I'm not is even a testimony. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the medication isn't the reason for my behavior. But we allude to that it is, for instance, with people with ADHD. You know, I have people that have children with ADHD, and they start you know, being children, and they go, did you take your medicine? Right? right yep. So here's more of that stigmatizing, you know, language that we have. And so I'm grateful for the Speakers Bureau, the Stop uh, Stop Stigma Sacramento Speakers Bureau, because this is what we do is we go around and we have conversations just like we're having today mm-hmm. about how we stigmatize ourselves in regards to those issues but also how we can participate in doing that for others including our children and our friends
1: it's so true it
0: is so true
1: i even to the point like um i I catch myself even still doing it um even to the point like my, my daughter is more introverted and she's not shy but she looks like she's shy because she's an introvert but you get her one-on-one like I've recorded a podcast with her and she's like one-on-one she's like she's gold she's like an old soul she's amazing um but I would in you know like we go have like a family gathering a holiday or whatever and and it was it's always like oh you know Jasmine you know she's shy because she wouldn't be overly social she's an observer she'll sit back and she'll just watch the conversations and every now and then chime in but it's almost like we have to jasmine is shy jasmine is an introvert Jasmine because she does not not, not like a normal kid slash teenager and i had to, i have to stop that because what i'm doing is i'm reinforcing these and it's not like it's a bad thing to be an introvert or shy or reserved it's not i mean it's one of the greatest things about it because she's so observant she's brilliant but i don't want her to wear that as a label thinking she doesn't have um the eight like, I wanted to know that she can speak up and be as talkative as she wants to be, that she doesn't have to wear this label because we, she's been told it her whole life. So I even have to do that as her mom. And then, you know, my son, it's probably something else, um, you know. So it's a good reminder. It's a really good reminder because I think we're all guilty of it on some level. And we don't mean anything by it, but we are, especially with kids, reinforcing, you know, every time we label them a certain way, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Okay um, I was gonna tell this story about um, and I know you already know about it about uh, a, it's like a distant friend. It's, this, it's a story that I was told this happened recently um, we, we, it, it, we spoke about the fact that there there's a lot of resistance and lack of trust and faith in the, in the psych, psychiatric medical community from, from people who are suffering. I personally know this person um, she's in her early 30s she's she's on the spectrum she has made an appointment she made an appointment with her primary care doctor because she was having some mental health concerns after discontinuing a year-long THC habit through like gummies it started out as something she was doing for recreation then it wound up becoming a habit you know habit forming and whether or not whether or not she continued to consume it for recreation or or whether it was for something like anxiety I don't know I'm not that close to it Um, but what i do know is when she stopped she experienced an adverse reaction i don't know if this is because she's um because of she's on the spectrum or what but it caused her to feel mildly mentally unstable mildly to moderately i would say so she did what she thought was the right thing she made the appointment with her doctor to seek medical advice again she's in her 30s but um so for her for her because she's not neurotypical I guess a symptom of her spectrum disorder is, is the fact that she doesn't really have much of a filter. So when she was with her doctor, the manner that she was describing the instability she was feeling was alarming to them evidently. And she was placed on a 5150 hold and sent to the psych ward, um, apparently unnecessarily. Um, she, she didn't really understand what was happening until after they took her in and then she repeatedly asked to be released. Her family spent a week trying to get her out. And suffice to say that now this woman, as well as her family, they've lost all trust when it comes to seeking psychiatric care. They now fear it. Um, I know this is likely the minority, but I will say this is not the first time I've heard of this happening. Um, I I know the family of this woman well. I don't know this woman that well, but I know the family well. And um, it was very clearly because of her, her manner of communicating. It's very like there's no filter, there's no self-editing it's like I feel you know how we exaggerate like oh I'm gonna kill myself like like if they, have a, if they have a bad day or whatever like if we have a bad day we say things that we don't mean that's kind of how she talks and so she was locked up for this and they could not get her out she begged to be released I do you have any thoughts on this because I feel like Tons. this is not the fir- yeah this is not the first time I've heard this happening and this is a grown grown woman with record a, a record showing her being on the spectrum and that was not a consideration tell me what tell me what you think mm-hmm. if
0: if that woman ever listens to this i would like her to hear me say
1: mm-hmm.
0: that my heart goes out to her mm-hmm. um i had that happen did you with my mom Yep. Mm-hmm. yep and um uh you know i could go into those details after but let me answer your question for it's not the minority this happens a lot does it it happens okay. a lot. Wow. Um, we, we really, we don't hear about it because you know, this isn't, if we, if we all go to a networking event, you know, yeah. it's not, or a mixer, this isn't something that is going to come up, you know? So unfortunately it, it, that happens. So here's part of the policy Yeah. is if people in a therapeutic context say certain things, the policy is that they need to be detained, restrained sometimes. And um, because they're at a risk okay. of harm to themselves or others. Uh-huh. So there's different durations. There might be 24 hours. Mm-hmm. There might be 72.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or there might be for me and your friend, which was a week. Yeah. Right. And it's devastating. It's traumatic. It's It doesn't matter if you're twelve and a half or if you're, you know, like this woman, the the setup of you know, what's going on in your head? Mm -hmm. You know, just go ahead, just tell me. I'm a professional and I'm here to help you and this is a safe place. So tell me what you're really feeling. Well, what I'm really feeling is I'd like to leave here and just put a bullet in my head. I'm just done with my existence. Uh, And now, you know, they push a button or they make a note or they use Microsoft Outlook and they chat their supervisor and now this person's being whisked away. Now, None of us have control over the policies, Mm -hmm. those are there for a reason, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the intent is to help people and to prevent behavior, yes, that might hurt. Right? Is it a flawless system? Of course, not, right? Of course, not. Very traumatic for her to do that, and so now, today, if you go into the mental health clinics, um, people clients, patients, they know exactly what to say and not to say. Mm-hmm. So there are tons of people, teenagers especially, you know, they know exactly. It's it's pretty common if you say to anybody in the mental health field or medical field or law enforcement, It uh, and what we're looking for, we in the professional industry, what we're looking for is intent and plan. Right. So right. as far as trauma is concerned, just Real quick, you know, my mind has gone there since I was five. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be on the planet. And maybe I should do it this way. And just on some random Sunday when nothing is going on, I say, well, I should probably drive my truck off that bridge. And it's, the mind is so, and the emotions is so overwhelmed that it's actually communicating to me that that's a viable way out. At least that way I can get rest. At least that way I can cut a, I can catch a break. You know, but, but this constant cycle of me being in hyper alert and not being able to breathe or take a deep breath or anything, you know, has gone on for decades. I just want out is what the mind is saying. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between the ideation and the actual intent and intent. plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know what this woman said, but the fact that the duration was a week well, sa- what says ha- a lot.
1: What happened was... um they went in front of a judge, so they were gonna keep her. I think it was like Tuesday through Thursday, or I don't know. In my mind, it was a week, but it may have not been a whole week. But the point is, they went in front of the judge, and the minute um, they the parents, or I'm not sure who it was, introduced the because there's like a hearing, I guess you know um, that she's on the spectrum, that she's got this long history since she was a child of being on the spectrum the me the minute the judge looked at they're like she doesn't need to be there like clearly this is what occurred you know and so then immediately they released her it was the fact that there was no consideration for her history for her medical history for you know it wasn't like a careful discerning consideration you know Mm -hmm. in order to put her there and then here's the kicker that really upset me was um and i don't mean add insult to injury you know i i have tons of therapist friends and people that work in this of course of course but um while she was there she received no help at all all they wanted her to do was take sedation meds Mm -hmm. no counseling no help Mm -hmm. put her in a room and left her there and Mm -hmm. it was and i know it was to keep her safe from harming herself or other people or 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 whatever is i think it was just a um somebody dropped the ball there was a lack of discernment and knowing you know whether or not this was an appropriate action and now she's traumatized mm-hmm. you know like re- sincerely yeah so um and her parents are too and they're in and, and i i put them in touch well they got in touch with and with a, a good therapist and so she's in good hands now to recover from this incident but the point is is that that should have never happened how unfortunate yeah how unfortunate that
0: those feelings or thoughts might actually be an aspect of her being on the spectrum. Yeah. How unfortunate that the, you know, inability to decipher internal dialogue and get in touch with whatever emotions are causing her to feel so desolate mm-hmm. that, that that was deemed, you know, the way that it was. But like like we talked about, there are policies for that kind of stuff. and And, yeah. and in a professional capacity, that where there's liability involved for yourself for the clinic those are the motivators That's but, true. but nonetheless you know how horrific yeah. you know um when before you know I uh got locked up we'll just mm-hmm. say it that way um I had a short visit with my father before my 13th birthday in Arizona mm-hmm. and um I was Boy crazy because I was oversexualized early on, uh-huh. and so I was flirting with a boy who was a lot older than me at the pool. Mm-hmm. My dad, who is nobody to mess with, uh, came down and grabbed the guy, and I saw him injure him. I'll I'll leave the details out, but I saw him injure him, and it immediately because I heard a lot from my mom and my stepdad, mm-hmm. who my stepdad never took and still doesn't take into consideration the things he was telling me as I was young yeah. you know like you should hear what the psychiatrist says about you and did you know you're this and did you know you're that so I had all this emotional and mental abuse in that area so I see my dad do this and I take off running well I run away like, I'm scared of you because yeah. I just saw you do this, and I'm worried that you're going to come at me next because I've been brainwashed into believing I'm the reason for everybody's anger and everybody's, uh-huh. you know, misery, and so I don't want to go back over there. And so my mom and him conjured this plan where my dad finally got a hold of me and sat me down and, and told me my mom had a disease and she was dying and that I needed to get on the plane and go back to my mom. And I was like, she's what? She's dying. know she's in the hospital so I get on the plane thinking I'm going and my mom is dying my mom and her husband pick me up at the airport and they have my suitcase and we get in the car and we're not going home and we pull up to a hospital and he takes my suitcase out and we go in the hospital in the elevator and my suitcase is right there and we open the door and a lady in a white coat comes out and grabs me I never stated an intent or a plan. This was a voluntary act on behalf of my mom and stepdad probably, who, you know, thought that because I ran away from my dad or whatever, that I just needed to be and, and it was horrific. Yeah. It was horrific as a child, but it's horrific for anybody. And like I said, it's a pretty common story when people... There are people who voluntarily knock on the door of Heritage Oaks or yeah. Sierra Vista, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. because they, they know that they got something going on up there and that they may act on it, which is courageous yes. for anybody yes. listening who might have done that. Yes. But in the case of, you know, my own experience and of this woman who is a neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And this is something that science is becoming more and more aware of, mm-hmm. of what kinds of symptoms or things go with this. And and so is, is isolating somebody, restraining somebody? And then you said the treatment that she had. Same with me, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, that there was really no treatment, no treatment that yeah. she was sedated and put in a room and, you know, and nobody talking to her or finding out what's going on
1: um how powerless yeah she must have felt and she's never been treated like her parents are not ones to like treat her like there's any they treat her exactly the same as they've i mean she's in her 30s now but she's Mm -hmm. got two adult uh, siblings Mm -hmm. and they've never treated her any different she does not identify as someone that's got any. so she does not have any qualms about just being who she is you know beautiful and um and it was like used to like leveraged against her all the, and it right. was yeah so right. it's just like they because they never warned they they were they never raised her to think there was anything wrong or like make sure you don't say this or make sure you don't say that right. like she's just very like unapologetically who she you know who she is and um yeah it was just the whole thing was just mm-hmm. very heartbreaking but um
0: there yeah. was a psychiatrist that i worked with who shared that information with me about the mind being overwhelmed and crying out for relief mm-hmm. and that sometimes it will tell it will tell you that this this is the way out when you're tired or when you're you're not practicing self-care or when your cup is empty and you keep going. And it's also a sign because I, I haven't had suicidal ideation in many, many years. I haven't been medicated in over seven, you know, antidepressant or anything else for many, many years because of this information that this doctor gave to me. Yeah, That when your mind does that, say, ah, oh, that's a signal that I need to go to the gym, that I need to take a nap that I need to say no to this request for help, that I need to get a couple hours sleep, that I need a day off, Yeah. that I, that I should examine my relations and, um, and be concerned about the exposure to toxicity or maybe I've, I've had too much exposure to my mother and and had some of her comments go a little bit deeper than I assumed that I did. Mm-hmm. And so now I have this shame cycle going on. And the answer to the shame cycle is you need to be off the planet. Him giving me, and I wanted to say that on your show, mm-hmm. because him giving me that information has caused me to not be afraid of those thoughts anymore mm-hmm. when they pop up. And because I'm not afraid when they pop up, they just
1: don't pop up. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. Oh, gosh.
0: That's something I lived with from five to yeah. probably 43. I'm um, yeah. 52 today. So I mean, it wasn't very long ago where I noticed and it was I was helping another person. And uh, and I actually had to refer them to community services. For them to get an assessment, which is something that I do when they go in that direction, right? And uh, and I and I after I hung up with her, I went, wow, it's been, I can't remember the last time I thought about that, and yeah. I remember being five, going, I probably shouldn't be here, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, um, yeah. Gosh, I have so many thoughts are just rushed into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart goes out to her, this woman. Yeah, I hope she's recovering. I think from she's that. doing better. Um, it's fairly recent, but um, yeah, she's get, she's getting the, the the care from her family and um, this other person that they that they found. Um, okay, so I know I'm just checking the time here. Okay, we have about ten minutes. Um, regarding the stigma that surrounds mental illness, from from my perspective, the day and age we're in now, it seems to be improving. Just because there there seems to be less of a stigma, at least among. The younger generation i and this is a little bit comforting i know my my kids who are 15 and 21 um, they talk about topics like mental illness much much more openly than we did in the 80s and the 90s when i was in school their friends talk about it they're all very open about it um, but there's obviously still stigma that's felt especially i know with my generation and older um i you know i even was looking online at some of this e- even though um so many people at one time or another, regardless of which generation, have experienced some level of of mental illness. The statistic I pulled up online from 2021 stated one, this is for the listeners, one of five adults in the US, which equated to over 57 million, which is about 23% of the adult population, 18 and older in our country, uh, reported that they're living with mental illness. These are just the ones who reported it. Um, In your opinion, I think maybe we already talked about this, but I'm always looking at this as like, is it an accessibility issue? Is it a lack of education for them not knowing there's a better way? I remember talking to somebody recently who had gotten help and they thought, oh, this is what normal, their normal had been with the, the mental illness that they had fought for so long that was their normal they didn't realize there was another way to live is it a lack of education in that regard is it the accessibility is it is it fear um what is driving um this stigma issue fill in the blank i'm not sure which word to use Mm -hmm.
0: sure another another good question kimberly and I, i just can't um Uh, say enough, what a pleasure it's been to be a guest on your show. I have no doubt that many will hear this and and feel like hope uh, and change is a possibility for them personally. And I know that's what our intention was before we started the show. There, there's no easy answer to your question, and there's no just one thing to point to. When we're talking about stigma, it's all of those things. Yeah, I think so, too. But it can begin, of course, in the family unit, like what, what is the cultural background? Because the African-American population is still the most underserved mm-hmm. population as far as mental health is concerned. Mm-hmm. They, then there's Eastern Indians, mm-hmm. and then there's um, some Asian populations, and then we get into religion. You know, yeah. if there's a religious background that believes that, well, if you reach out to a doctor, you must not believe in your God. Right. So what does that look like for the individual who is suffering with, you know, depression or a high level of anxiety or even PTSD or complex trauma? What
1: does that look like? It's kind of like the whole go talk to the pastor. The whole thing. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and then, and maybe if we play that scenario out, go talk to the pastor, you know, what does that look like? Right. In 2015, I launched a nonprofit called Safe Relationships for Youth. And uh, this may be a book, but uh, I, I pioneered a program that teaches relationship violence prevention education. So, you know, we hear that here's the warning signs if you're in an abusive relationship. Well, if you see those warning signs, it's too late, you're already in it. So mm-hmm. I used my lived experience as a domestic violence survivor Um, to cultivate a program for, well, it was for girls and young women, 11 to 23, which is the the population for vulnerability. But now it's for boys, it's for LGBTQ, and it's all about, you know, self-awareness, intuition, boundaries, Mm -hmm. and things, how to change the responses to the grooming behavior of predators. Mm -hmm. And I taught, I took my laptop, and I went to this um, house in Lodi, where a woman who was a Seventh-day Adventist mm-hmm. and her two daughters, who were 11 and 13 at the time, and I'm teaching this program. They're having pizza, and I plug it into the TV. And the, the younger one, who's 11, says, there was a time when we went to church, and Pastor Bob, we'll say, mm-hmm. his name is Bob, came up to me to hug me, and he smelled like beer. And I didn't want him to hug me. And I said, did you try to say no? And she said no because mom says be a good girl. Hmm. So let's just let that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Let's just let that sink in for a yeah. minute, right? And so the mother was there. And I had the not so pleasant, but I did it. Uh, job of saying, you know, ma'am, you know, with all due respect, you just encouraged your daughter to not have a physical boundary. Yeah. And, uh, you you know, I don't know what happened after that. You know, I completed the training and thanked them and I did the follow-up, um, assessment and questionnaire. And we found that that little girl who was 11 had shared some of these points with a school friend and that it prevented her kidnapping. Oh, because she just shared a couple things like about personal space yep. about permission to touch about boundaries and 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 having that assertion and so she she totally was ungroomable mm. by a predator oh, which was super exciting but this is one of those things that we talk about if if these influences whether it's cultural or religious or expectations of the family yeah I, I I know of a family where, I won't mention the name, but their family name's pretty prominent Mm -hmm. in our region of Northern California. Mm -hmm. And so her whole deal was, well, if I say anything, I'm gonna disgrace the family name Mm. because my family is on this news TV show and my family owns this property and this business. So if I come forward, I also have um, people like ER physicians on my client roster. So if if I have a physician, on my client roster and they go get treated for depression, anxiety, you know, what if they have a homicidal ideation or something like yeah. that and now it's on public it's record. It's on their record yeah. and people look it up when they go to, you know, complete recomplete their licensure or whatever that, oh well, I can't come forward because now there's a paper trail that I have a mental illness and
1: I'm medicated. I've actually heard that before. I, I actually heard it's real stuff. Yeah, I heard about a father um, this this he's now an adult man, but when he was like 18, 17, something like that, he needed to get um, he needed mental uh, he needed to be seen by a mental health professional. And the reason why the dad refused to do it was because um, he didn't want to be on his record for when he, for career like, or for something. I forget the or exact military. details. military. It might have been even military. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact details, but I remember thinking like, wow, that's a That's a a really strong gamble you're taking Mm -hmm. Um, because what's going to happen if he doesn't kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. All right. So.
0: By the way. Yes. The statistic from the National Institute of Mental Health Uh is nearly half of all people in the United States have some diagnosis.
1: Yeah, that seems a little bit more. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure,
0: you know, where you got it. That's 2021. That's pretty recent. But, I mean, both are probably pretty accurate, regardless of, of which one is. Yeah. It's pretty close to Dr. Gabor Mate's book, which is A Myth of Normal. Yeah. Maybe all of us are touched by something, whether or not we realize it. Maybe all of us, for sure, have been impacted by some type of trauma. People come to me all the time and go, I don't know what's going on, Mia. But, you know, I had a great childhood. I had my parents loved each other and then we uncover that something is underneath the surface so yeah. maybe there just isn't anything no such thing as normal
1: yeah no I don't think so mm-hmm. for sure not I mean it thinks there is isn't that it's, great news yeah. <laughs> yeah it's fabulous news actually all right I know we're running out of time but let's really quick um let's talk uh so you I want to talk about what you do as a professional consultant and coach who specializes in trauma just if someone is is considering reaching out to you for help personally because i'm going to leave all your information in the show notes and um, what can they expect working with you as their coach you know what does it look for them as, as the client what does it look like for them
0: thank you so much so what i do is i do life coaching but through the eyes of somebody who has trauma yeah because somebody who has experienced trauma particularly childhood trauma particularly any type of attachment trauma or sexual trauma, physical trauma, you know, or or a catastrophe. They're going to see the world through different eyes. They're gonna be in hypervigilance, a state of survival, which is very taxing on the body and the mind. Yeah. And they're also going to enter relationships that perpetuate and reinforce those beliefs about their absence of self-worth. And so what I do is I take people, and the first thing we do is we look at where did you get these messages about yourself and cultivate some compassion and and some type of awareness that that little person is still, we we refer to it as the inner child, right, or inner being, is, is still in us. And so it's our job, much like we would a niece or a nephew or a daughter or a son, we would not tell them, hey, suck it up, you made your bed, you lie in it. Mm-hmm. We would say, what's wrong? Come here, sit down, talk to me. Yeah, You know, just get it out. Let's hear it. Let's explore it together, and I want you to know you're not alone. So to be able to have that that dialogue towards ourself. So um, I go through things. Now, I do have to say um, that I don't treat any yeah. symptoms or any diseases or anything like that. Uh, I, I'm i a coach, which falls under the alternative Uh, to medicine Mm -hmm. in the California law. And so um, if somebody does need some psychiatry Mm -hmm. or conventional therapy, then I put them in touch with that. And I have a lot of resources. I work in conjunction with doctors, whether it's primary care, psychiatry, therapists all over the place. And I am a complement to mm-hmm. that type of care. Gotcha. Because what I do is I teach coping skills. Okay. I teach coping skills. So like the incident that I talked about earlier where I was in a crowd and I had a reaction because somebody was startling me mm-hmm. and I had to have a conversation with him. long, long time ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Okay. I wouldn't have been able to see that for what it was. So part of the work that I do with trauma survivors is something just like that. They might say, hey, I went to Aftershock, You know, we've got to mention that because mm-hmm. aftershock is coming mm-hmm. up. Right. Mm-hmm. I went to aftershock, and I don't know what happened, but, you know, I just felt so uncomfortable, and I had to stand against a tree, or I just started bawling for no reason, or I watched Forrest Gump. And when Forrest was running, I started bawling and I don't know what's that, what that's about. And so these strong emotional surges that we have um, can often be correlated to something that happened to us in the past. Mm-hmm. If you think about some infraction and your reaction is huge, I'm making a gesture with my hands, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. is huge compared to the actual infraction,
1: Yeah, then yeah.
0: it's probably connected to something that's familiar. And so one of the things that I teach people that come to work with me is what is, what does that remind you of? You know, why is that there? And we hear about know your triggers, manage your triggers. Well, that's, to me, that's exhausting because now I'm still in that mode of I I have to manage you and how, how you treat me and how you respond to me. I have to manage my boss. I have to manage traffic. I have to manage weather, whether or not there's an earthquake. I have to manage all that. Well, in the work that I do with trauma, people with trauma and learning coping skills is all about how to cultivate a internal environment that feels safe. Mm-hmm. And when the internal environment feels safe, I feel more powerful, even though out here might be, you know, COVID-11, economy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the political issues mm-hmm. or, you know, or what have you, or, or gridlock traffic. I'm, I'm not going to want to or feel this compulsory need
1: to control everything and everybody around me because it's triggering me. Wow. There is such a need for that. There is such a need for that. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of therapy. Um, Me too. Uh, but I think there's something to be said for learning, like being given skills or learning skills or being taught a different way to look at things or react to things or just. Um, and I think that's done through therapy, too. But this to me feel well it feels like what it is it's coaching you know mm-hmm. you're you're being coached on how to um choose a different way I, I don't know I don't know how to say that other than um it feels a little bit different than therapy and it feels um I like that what you said it as it it's a compliment too mm-hmm. but I think it's a good one I think it it's is. a really good one. I think it's very much needed and um I don't hear about it that often,
0: I appreciate that. The and the coaching paradigm now, I mean, is is flooded. You know, and yeah. when you're uh, you know looking for somebody with coaching, it's it, experience is important. You know, I'm yeah. in my fifties, yeah. So I mean, I'm not putting young people down, but but somebody who like. Like me, where I have a lot of relationship trauma, mm-hmm. if you've never been married, you are probably got to think yeah. about your scope there, right? Mm-hmm. So those are important things to look for with a coach. And to not be afraid to ask them what, that's why I put my lived experience on my website. Yeah. I can speak to all of those issues, whether it's from a platform or a podium or or in a personal session with somebody. I know how people can respond in a different way where it serves them it doesn't tax their Mm -hmm. physiology Mm -hmm. or and it doesn't make it worse because sometimes people with trauma we can see threats where there are none and our narrative in our mind will add to the story about how this person is not right for us and how they're the enemy and how we need to get out and how our our boss is unfair and now we just need a new job and before you know it we're running, running, running. So a lot of modalities say we need to, I know my first experience was lay on a couch and tell me your first memory. And I told that therapist, no, thank you. <laughs> right. There's nothing in me that wants to close my eyes and go back there. As a matter of fact, I couldn't close my eyes when I investigated um, yoga and meditation. Really? Because I, Nope. Because I was so Hyper-vigilant. It's not for everybody. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that when we're making our meditation videos and we say close your eyes, you need to ask the person first. Right. If you feel safe, Yeah, closing your eyes, right. then close your eyes. So that is something that I gained from my own experience that I pass on to people that are like, well, I want to meditate, but like I'm so freaked out I can't right. close my eyes. Yeah. Well, here's why. Here's why, yeah. Because your mind needs to be hypervigilant because it thinks you're under threat all the time. Mm-hmm. There is no way to go back and change the pattern what has happened to me has happened to me. And so one of the things that I benefit from and that people that I work with benefit from is it is a in the present and forward focused approach. Mm-hmm. It is not about going and making sense of the past or creating the feeling again in the path in the that came from the past. We have a lot of paths nowadays that are assisted by substance and some of the uh retreats involve like conjuring up this feeling in your body that can be re-traumatizing my personal and professional experience is it's unnecessary it's it's enough to acknowledge these things happened to uncover the messages to reject the belief system and programming or what we call cognitive schema of our parents or the abuser or the experience or the tragedy reject the belief system and say, you know what, those old tapes are destroyed and I get to make new ones. Mm -hmm. And as I make new ones, I'm intent on the next time my boss is, or I have three people, right? And I'm at a mental health clinic giving me a performance review and I'm not functioning very well. So I go in and I go, oh, wow, this looks just like the principal's office
1: yeah there's my
0: mom there's my stepdad there's the principal and i'm the problem and i have this reaction yeah so that's how trauma shows up it injects itself in the present moment yeah and so that's why coaching is necessary from somebody who has lived experience Mm -hmm. about about uh, you know well what is that well it's it's coming from the past yeah If, if you're sitting there and you're you're a 40-year-old woman, and you have supervisors. There's no reason you should not be able to withstand some constructive criticism. Sure, yeah. But I'm shaking like I'm 12. Right. I can't breathe yeah. like I'm 12 because child body is front and center. Mm-hmm. And this happens more often than we realize for oh, people yeah. who have experienced any type of trauma.
1: Yes, yes. That was very, very good uh, example. Thank you. Um, okay. So I know we're out of time here, um, or oh, we're over time. Okay, so as we wrap up, I want to I want to circle back to the organization that Mia is here representing for all the listeners, um, which, again, is Stop Stigma Sacramento. I would encourage those of you who are listening who are in need of support to click the link that's provided in the show notes for more information. But I also want to quickly give um, you the mental illness. It's not always what you think. Project objectives as outlined on their website. I'm just going to go through them. Um, Number one, to promote positive and culturally competent messages about living with mental illness. Number two, to reduce stigma and discrimination toward youth living with serious emotional disturbances and adults and older adults living with mental illness. Three, to promote positive beliefs and attitudes by replacing myths and stereotypes with real stories of wellness, recovery, and hope. And four, ensure that appropriate messages are received by cultural communities that are relevant to each specific community, including LGBTQ, age-specific, as well as ethnic and racial groups, many which have historically low utilization rates for behavioral health services. Um, Also, for those uh, who are interested in booking a consultation with Mia, I will include her info. Uh, in the show notes as well. You can check out her website. She also has some great social media content videos on TikTok. So um, I will leave all that for you. So be sure to check all that out. Um, okay. So and with that, I want to I wanna thank you, Mia, for holding our hands as we took this incredible deep mm-hmm. dive into such a pervasive topic. I also want to thank you for sharing your story with us getting an inside look from a first person perspective is what I believe and I've been saying this since the beginning It has the power to enlighten anyone who chooses to lean in with curiosity. It is one thing to read these things in a book or see them play out in a movie and it's something entirely different hearing it explained by someone who's lived it and and who's come out the other side um, to not only talk about it but to educate and help others. So thank you for that. And it's been an honor. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we will see you back here next week. That's all for this episode of Humanity Unlocked. Do you have a personal story to share with us?
0: We're all ears. Visit humanityunlockedpodcast.com and send us an inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe to hear weekly episodes of our show.